Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Law Today podcast presented by Foley and Lardner. Each month, we'll bring on a different thought leader to discuss current legal trends in the healthcare industry. I'm your host, Judy Waltz, and chair of Foley's healthcare industry team. It's a pleasure to have you joining us today. Before we begin our show, I want to remind you to subscribe to Healthcare Law Today, either on iTunes or your preferred podcast app please visit our website at healthcarelawtoday.com. Now, I'd like to also introduce my colleague, Antoinette Konsky, who will be joining me on today's episode. And I'd like to turn it over to her to introduce today's topic and special guest. Personalized or precision medicine is the field of medicine that finds the best treatment for each patient at the right time. Physicians use diagnostic tests, medical history, circumstances, and values as well as information from prior patient therapies to prevent disease and develop targeted therapies that can expedite a patient's treatment and recovery. Recognizing in 2010 that precision medicine is the healthcare of the future, Foley and Lardner launched an industry task force to anticipate and serve client needs as they venture into this new frontier. The Personalized Medicine Coalition, or PMC, is an advocacy and educational group that represents innovators, scientists, patients, providers, and payers to promote the understanding and adoption of personalized medicine concepts, services, and products. Dr. Edwards Abrahams is the president of the PMC and has charted its growth from its original 18 founding members in 2004 to more than 200 members today. I am pleased to have Ed as our guest to explore current issues facing personalized medicine and how the concepts, and research learned in personalized medicine are being applied to diagnose and treat COVID-19. Ed, thank you so much for being with us here today. Did I hit the mark on precision medicine? Is there anything you would like to add by way of introduction to yourself or the PMC? Yes, uh, Antoinette, uh, I, I think you have defined personalized medicine very well indeed. I'd like to begin this podcast uh, by thanking you and Foley and Lardner for giving me the opportunity to discuss these issues with you today. Foley and Lardner, as you know, has been an outstanding partner with PMC in developing and promoting personalized medicine. Let me begin by noting, as you just did, uh, that I have never met a patient who did not prefer getting the right medication the first time rather than going through a process of trial and error because the right diagnosis could not be made in advance of selecting the right therapy. And the good news is that we have many more molecular diagnostics today to target the right treatments to the right patients at the right time, as is often said. But personalized medicine also promises that adoption of it will lead to lower systemic cost. This is very important. By becoming more efficient with targeted therapeutics and avoiding costly interventions that don't work, personalized medicine can help these systems save money and at the same time provide better outcomes for individual patients. In other words, and this is terribly important in today's context of constricted resources for healthcare, With personalized medicine, we can enjoy the benefits of innovation and reduce costs, but we have to be smart about it. To be sure, at present, 
We have only anecdotal evidence that this is the case, which is why PMC is doing the research that demonstrates that if individual therapies come with high price tags, as many in fact do, together they can and will produce cost savings by avoiding unnecessary intervention. That, in brief, is the real promise of personalized medicine. We believe personalized medicine can provide tremendous value, not only to patients, but also to the systems and countries that, in fact, have the courage to implement it. Thank you so much for that explanation and background on personalized medicine and how it is being used today to treat and prevent disease. Ed, for me, one of the highlights of the year is the publication of PMC's annual report that summarizes the key advances the industry has made over the past year. When will the 2020 edition be released? And can you give us a preview of what to expect? Absolutely, Antoinette, and thank you for this question. Uh, within the next eight weeks, the Personalized Medicine Coalition will publish the report you're talking about. It is the sixth edition of the Personalized Medicine Report. We used to call it the case for personalized medicine, but we now believe that the case has been made, so we now reference it as the Personalized Medicine Report. It is our effort to define the field by explaining personalized medicine's opportunity, which I just did a few seconds ago, documenting its status at the moment, and discussing the challenges it faces. So it's a widely read report that is written for laymen, particularly policymakers in the agencies and on Capitol Hill. The sixth edition will, for example, show that whereas in 2008, there are only five personalized medicines, which we define as a therapeutic with a biomarker strategy on its label. Today, there are over 250 on the market. So you can see there's been enormous progress over these past uh, 10 years or so. While most of these products are in oncology, we have also seen progress in other indications as well, including cardiovascular illness, depression, and especially rare diseases. The report will also show that today there are 75,000 genetic testing products on the market, up from fewer than 66,000 in 2016. In other words, this is an exploding field. Also new in this report are discussions of how advanced analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are yielding new insights about how biological and environmental factors, in addition to genetics, influence a patient's disease risk and response to various treatments. Thus, opening the door to preventive medicines, one of personalized medicine's most important, if as yet unrealized, promises. The report documents how, by targeting effective treatments to those patients who benefit, personalized medicine can do the following things. Shift the emphasis in medicine from reaction to prevention. With new technologies like liquid biopsies that can detect cancer before any symptoms occur. This is tremendously important and a great promise. It can reduce trial and error prescribing, which patients would absolutely love. 
it can cut the number of adverse drug reactions, which right now are the third or fourth largest cause of death in the United States. It can use cell-based or gene therapy to replace or circumvent molecular pathways associated with disease and thereby offering cures where none had existed before. It can reveal additional targeted uses for medicines and drug candidates. It will obviously increase patient adherence to treatment as patients will be more likely to say on medications that don't have dangerous side effects, for example. It will reduce high-risk invasive procedures, which it already has done in, say, uh, kidney transplants, for example. It will help patient-physician engagement towards patient-centered care, which is also a great promise of personalized medicine. And finally, as I mentioned, it could and should reduce the overall cost of healthcare. Finally, the report makes the argument that outstanding challenges in regulation, reimbursement, and clinical adoption slow our efforts to capitalize on the advances brought about by personalizing treatments. Overcoming these obstacles, as we write, will require a collaborative effort to keep up with the pace of progress in science and technology. And this is the in fact, the overall mission of the Personalized Medicine Coalition. So Ed, this is Judy. I have a question for you. Yes. At the end of the day, and you mentioned this a bit in your comments, at the end of the day, for personalized medicine to be a success and available to patients, it has to be adopted by the clinicians. How, do, how does that happen? And are there obstacles to that success? Absolutely. And this is a keen thrust of the Personalized Medicine Coalition. Because we are learning that clinical adoption is a much slower process than patients want and expect. For example, BMC will publish a study just this week that documents that medically appropriated genomic testing is quite inconsistent across the United States. That means, for example, that some patients in cancer are not getting the treatments they need and are available. The study shows that coverage and reimbursement strategies are not the only barriers to personalized medicine, as you might expect. Other barriers include lack of awareness among providers and patients, not to mention socioeconomic factors, including distance and access issues. In medicine, it doesn't necessarily follow that if you build it, they will come. There are many mediators along the way from discovery and development to adoption. We also know from another PMC Commission study of the value of genomic testing in cancer care that many patients who are eligible for effective targeted therapies as determined by genomic sequencing of their tumor still do not receive the best treatment option based on the results. This is a tragedy. This practice gap can be attributed to the limitations in the availability and interpretation of NGS results, sample processing constraints, limited access to targeted therapies, and especially lagging awareness of the rapidly evolving field 
of personalized medicine among physicians and other providers. We demonstrate in this study that if all patients who were eligible to target a treatment actually received them, the cost effectiveness of genomic sequencing, which is sometimes alleged to be too high, was significantly improved. In short, along with public policy, we know that the downstream issues focused on clinical adoption are extremely important and must be addressed. So Ed, it's Judy again. We are in a continuing debate with respect to drug pricing in the United States. How does that debate impact the future of personalized medicine and how would you address um, or make some recommendations as to how we, we price our drugs? Uh, Judy, that's a very important question because as you know, uh, the drug pricing debate has gripped public attention and it's not well considered uh, what all of its ramifications are. Uh, and it has particular uh, implications for the development of personalized medicine, which tend to be uh, more expensive, but combined, as I said earlier, will have an impact on the healthcare system and on overall costs that are generally positive. We have to ensure that innovative products remain accessible including to those who cannot afford them, to be sure. But we also have to be careful not to remove the incentives to discover and develop those products in the first place, which I am afraid that price controls, which I think, Judy, you were referring to, no matter how they are implemented, uh, would do. That is to say, they would stifle innovation, in my opinion. Drug development is a risky business. There are no guarantees. If we move or decrease the financial incentive to find new cures to unmet medical needs, it follows the night, the day, that we're gonna see fewer interventions. Late last month, President Trump issued an executive order to tie the prices paid for physician-administered drugs, many which are personalized medicine, to those that are paid in other countries. That may be politically popular because those other countries pay less, but the policy, if implemented, will have disastrous unintended consequences for the development of, say, new cell-based therapies, gene therapies, and targeted medicines that are only now reshaping healthcare in ways no one thought possible 10 years ago. This is the fact because there are incentives in place to encourage their development. It's important to understand when a pharmaceutical company invests in say finding a one-shot cure for spinal muscular atrophy, which is a very real example, and a real rare and debilitating disorder that affects fewer than 25,000 people in the United States. It does so without any guarantee of success, and it does so also with very high upfront costs that must be recovered. If the company that develops the cure cannot get a return on its investment, it's unlikely to take these big risks upon which patients depend. Long story short, patients will suffer and the costs of providing care, not a cure for those patients, care, not a cure, will not decline. I'd like your opinion on a topic of current, urgent, and global concern. Today, we are challenged medically and economically with the COVID-19 pandemic. 
How have the principles of personalized medicine been applied to diagnosing and treating COVID-19? Uh, Antoinette, thank you for the really important question. Um, I actually believe that the principles of personalized medicine that emphasize stratified responses, even when it comes to public health, have significant implications for diagnosing and treating COVID-19. Those principles, I believe, should inform future interventions to stem this terrible pandemic that has already killed over 150,000 people in the United States alone. And I don't think they're actually been part of the debate. So BMC looks forward to introducing those principles because they're so very important if we're gonna effectively address this pandemic. First, we have been very slow to develop and deploy real-time diagnostics, which are the backbone of personalized medicine, that would give us the tools to determine who was at risk so we don't have to put in place one-size-fits-all public health responses, including closing down whole economies when that might not be necessary if we knew who had the disease or who was likely to get the disease. To date, we have not been able to target long-term prevention and treatment plans to the most at-risk populations, which would be enormously helpful in reopening con economies, which we would obviously like to do sooner than later. Second, and equally important, we know that the coronavirus expresses itself differently among different populations. For example, older men, racial and ethnic minorities, and those with particular underlying conditions seem to be more vulnerable to disease. It behooves us, therefore, to understand the molecular and environmental reasons for this differentiated response and to develop and to deploy therapies and vaccines that are effectively targeted to those who are in need. And I emphasize effectively, it's unlikely that this is gonna be a one-size fits all solution. To date, we are looking for one size fits all solutions because there's an urgency to find one. But eventually scientists, in my opinion, are going to recognize that because not everyone responds the same, different medicines are going to have to be developed to treat COVID-19 and other viruses. We've already seen this in AIDS. And so I don't think the coronavirus is going to be different. We have to be really smart about how we address this pandemic. Uh, by the way, uh, on September 3rd, PMC is organizing a virtual seminar titled COVID-19 and Personalized Medicine, Current Status and Lessons Learned. It is free, and if you want to register, you can do so at our website. Ed, thank you so much for being with us today. And as we wrap up, I'd like to invite you to make any closing remarks or comments uh, on the topics we covered today. Antoinette and Judy, I'd really like to thank you both for your loyal support to the Personalized Medicine Coalition and for giving me the opportunity to discuss these very important issues uh, with your audience. I hope people will pay attention to personalized medicine. We believe it represents the future and we also believe that if we invest in it, if we come together collaboratively as a community, we can have a healthcare system that we deserve based upon 
the developments in science and technology, which have never been more promising. So again, thank you for your attention. And I look forward to working with you and everybody on uh, this podcast uh, to move this field forward. It's not going to happen by itself. Thank you, Dr. Abrahams and Antoinette for a great show. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Healthcare Law Today podcast, your connection to timely legal updates in the healthcare industry. Healthcare Law Today is a monthly program, and we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast or to Foley's Healthcare Law Today blog at healthcarelawtoday.com. If you like this show, please don't forget to subscribe and be sure to rate us five stars. Until next time on the Healthcare Law Today podcast, I'm Judy Waltz at Foley and Lardner. We appreciate you joining us.